0: listening to Untold Florida, a podcast that looks to explore the neighborhoods of North Central Florida that you live in and to tell the issues in your community that you often wonder about. Maybe it's something you've seen driving around town, a curiosity your neighbor mentioned once, an uncovered or undercovered story never told by the local media. These are those stories. I'm Taylor Levesque. On this episode of Untold Florida, baseball teams of Florida's past. Ethan Budowski discusses the history of Negro League Baseball in the state of Florida. And later on in the program, Harrison Smadziewicz tells the story of Gainesville's forgotten minor league team. But first, 2020 was the 100th anniversary of the establishment of the Negro Leagues. On December 16th, Major League Baseball took the long overdue step of officially recognizing the league as on par with the American and National Leagues. But what was the history of the league in Florida? WUFT's Ethan Budowski has more.
1: You walk into a baseball game and hear the roar of the fans. You sit down at your seats, rip open a bag of peanuts, and all of a sudden, a circus breaks out. This was the case for fans who attended Ethiopian Clowns games, a Negro Leagues baseball team that called Miami home in the 1930s. The vice president of curatorial services at the Negro Leagues Museum, Dr. Raymond Doswell, explains how the clown's owner, Sid Pollack, organized this.
2: Mr. Pollack was a promoter and someone who helped organize promotions and events. Uh, So in addition to baseball play, they do all kinds of antics or skits or other things in between innings. Uh, to entertain the crowds so there's this balance of the entertainment and showmanship uh, with their athletic abilities
1: pollock's tactics worked as the clowns received national recognition for their traveling act and mixture of baseball and entertainment some even went so far as to call them the harlem globetrotters of baseball a title that recognized they were more than just a baseball team despite the positive response there was a dark side to the clowns act as well The team wore face paint and grass skirts for their act, which sadly was part of the entertainment factor at the time. Dr. Doswell explains how this affected the team as they sought legitimacy with the Negro Leagues.
2: It perpetuated black stereotypes initially to the point that when the clowns were initially thinking of becoming part of more formal league structures, many team owners that were part of the Negro Leagues at the time were not in favor of including the clowns unless they cleaned up some things.
1: The Clowns were what many called barnstormers. They traveled around looking for games and showed up to play where they could. They were a little more organized than some other teams because of Pollock, but they were basically a traveling circus. Eventually, the Clowns picked up and left Miami to move to Cincinnati before settling in Indianapolis. Despite having some background about the Clowns, there is still a lot that is unknown about the history of the Negro Leagues in Florida florida was mainly used as a breeding ground for negro league players players from the midwest the hub of the negro leagues would move down to florida in the winter and organize teams to practice with for the upcoming season they would also use florida as a springboard to go play ball in the caribbean where they could earn an extra salary Dr. Doswell explains how winter jobs for extra money would turn into practice time for the upcoming seasons.
2: There are resorts and places on the coast like the Breakers and places in Carolina and as well as uh, the Florida coast where black players, even swaths of black players from Chicago and other places would go and they'd work at these hotels or work at these resorts and create teams to partly to entertain guests, but also to practice.
1: One of the teams that would emerge from this trend was the Jacksonville Redcaps, whose names stem from the hats they wore at their jobs. Established in 1938, they spent two seasons in Cleveland before returning to Jacksonville in 1941 for two more seasons. The team dropped out of the Negro American League in 1942, but returned as an unaffiliated team after World War II. The Red Cap Stadium, Durkee Field, is still standing today in its original location. The stadium burned down in 1936 and was rebuilt immediately after. Since then, it has undergone two major renovations and has been renamed after a legendary baseball coach at Stant High School, a historically black high school in Jacksonville. The CEO of the Jacksonville Historical Society, Dr. Alan Bliss, spoke about efforts to preserve the stadium today.
3: There have been periodic efforts to update it and keep it functional, but also keep it faithful to the way that it was rebuilt back in the 1930s. The city's intent is to try to keep its intimate scale and feel as a as a relatively, you know, small
1: baseball stadium. JP Small Memorial Stadium, as it's now called, hosted every Negro League team in its day and it's still a functional baseball stadium. In fact, it is the home ballpark of Edward Waters College and Stanton College Prep. It also hosts little league parks around the ground and a museum dedicated to its history. Bliss said it is still a wonderful tribute to baseball.
3: But it's a joy to be there and to experience a baseball game. You know, you could go there on a weeknight during the spring and summertime and see neighborhood league uh, ball games going on. It's I mean, it, it is still a working, functional baseball field. And so you get a really authentic feel
1: from visiting it. 2020 marked the 100th anniversary of the foundation of the Negro Leagues. In recognition of this celebration, Major League Baseball officially recognized Negro League statistics and certified the league as a major league. This is just the first step forward in recognizing the impact African-Americans have had on the game of baseball. A huge hurdle Major League Baseball faces now is increasing African-American participation in the sport. Dr. Doswell said the problem is not a lack of African-American superstars.
2: Black people love baseball. Bruce. <laughs> they loved him then. You know, they did uh-huh. not cheer for him because he wasn't black.
1: But rather a need to increase access to the sport for young African-Americans.
2: I'm less concerned if we get more black baseball players, although I would love that. I want to make sure, though, that black people, and young people have an opportunity to play baseball because I think it's the greatest game in the world. Uh, and if they are being denied access to the game, that's a problem. But... Let's continue to give them access to the game, learn the game, learn the lessons of the game.
1: Whether this recognition of the Negro Leagues by Major League Baseball is a real first step to healing or a gesture that comes far too late remains a hot topic. There is no doubt, however, that the Negro Leagues helped many achieve their dreams of playing baseball and inspired generations of future African-American players. What many don't know is that the state of Florida played a key part in that dream as well.
0: That was Ethan Budowski telling us a little about the history of the Negro Leagues in Florida. Next on the program, many don't realize there was minor league baseball played for years in Gainesville. Now home to one of the best college baseball teams in the country, the city was once a little closer to the big leagues than many realize. Harrison Smadjewicz has more.
4: Imagine this. You are standing at Citizens Field, Gainesville's hotspot for high school football with a time machine. As you activate it, you see the area around you change. The gridiron field fades away, and a baseball diamond takes its place. You still hear the roar of the crowd, but instead of it being for a touchdown, it's simply for the crack of the bat. You are no longer at Citizens Field. You are now at Harris Field home of the Gainesville G-men. The G-men represent Gainesville's forgotten past of professional sports. We asked reporters at ESPN Gainesville if they had heard of the G-men. This was their answer.
3: No, no idea. Gainesville had a minor league baseball team? No idea.
4: No, I didn't. Uh, That's cool, though. No, I had no idea. Being a reporter who's from the area does not help you learn the story of the G-men either.
0: We have, like, such a big college sports following, and when I think of, like, minor league teams are always in such a random little town.
4: Gainesville is about to get a history lesson on its former club. Legendary PK young coach and former Gators baseball player Bob Hawkins recalls the fame of the G-men. While he did not experience g G-men himself, he had the opportunity to hear the stories from those who did. The most noble story according to Hawkins was that of outfielder Jim Rivera.
3: The owner of the Atlanta Crackers uh, got him bailed out of prison to play baseball and sent him down here to uh, Needsville to play for the G-Men. And uh, he played here for a year and of course his, his career went fast and he made it uh, as a big league player for the White Sox.
4: Rivera would play in the South Side of Chicago for 10 years and finished his career with a two hundred fifty six batting average and 160 stolen bases. And according to Hawkins, had a bigger impact on the game than many realized.
3: He was the guy that started the head first slide. A lot of people think it was Pete Rose, but it really wasn't. It was Jim Rivera who started that. The G-Men folded
4: in 1958, with Rivera remaining their standout player. However, their home, Harris Field, survived until the 1970s. Hawkins had the chance to coach and play ball at Harris Field. He recalls his time there fondly.
3: You could tell it was a, really a homey-type atmosphere, you know, of these... You can see the stands they had around were right on top of the field. and It was a, it was, it was a typical baseball field of that WPA uh, period of time. Uh, now, all the grandstands and stuff were, were slowly done away with before they did away with the field. But when the grandstand was there, it was one of those things you picture in one of those old movies. It was really a neat place.
4: With the G-men gone, high school and college baseball fill the void for those who seek the national pastime. But could minor league baseball work here today? Former Gators pitcher Tyler Dyson says he's all for the idea. Uh, but like I said, I love, my, I love the three years there. so if there was a minor league team there, I think it would uh, I think it'd be fun to go back and play. In the city with the name Rainesville, Dyson says that wherever the team plays is going to need some cover. So that was that was the big thing with the fans when we were when we were there that they wanted shade and I know it'd be tough but if you could get a dome for the rainouts because it rains a lot in the summer in Gainesville. He also had some ideas for a location for this domed stadium. He went down by like like Paints Prairie um, and put it out there and just kind of built around there a little bit but the, but keep kind of like the like the views and stuff. Um, you could always go by the airport. There's a lot of land out there. The interest to see and play for a team in Gainesville seems to be there, but until the time comes that a new team arrives, the memories of Gainesville's old Pro Ball era and the team that took the field where Citizens Field now stands moves further into the past. But for those who saw the team and heard the stories, the Gainesville G-Men will continue to live on. And now, with the memory renewed, perhaps future memories are in store for a future team.
0: Thank you to Ethan Budowski and Harrison Smadziewicz for their help on this episode of Untold Florida. Also, thank you to Ethan Budowski for his production assistance as well. You can hear these stories and more on our website, wuft.org, and if you have an Untold Florida story you'd like us to look into, we'd like to hear from you. Go to wuft.org slash news slash Florida if you'd like to learn more. This podcast is a production of WUFT News in the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. I'm Taylor Levesque, and this is Untold Florida. Thank you for listening.